Mark chapter 11 tonight, if you have your Bible, I'd ask you please to open it to Mark 11. Tonight we will finish this chapter looking at verses 27 to 33. I'll invite you please to stand for the reading of God's most holy word. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the crowd, for everyone was regarding John to have been a real prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Please be seated. Jesus is Lord. That was the confession of the early church. The church in the years after Jesus went back to glory, their confession of faith was very simple. Jesus is Lord. Now to understand that, you have to understand at the time, Rome was the dominant power in the world. Israel was a part of the Roman Empire. They were under the authority of the Romans. And the Romans were required to say, Caesar is Lord. Their ultimate allegiance was supposed to be to Caesar. But Christians refused to say, Caesar is Lord. Instead, the Christians said, Jesus is Lord. It's a question of authority. See, most Roman citizens submitted to Caesar as the ultimate highest authority. But for the disciples of Jesus, ultimate authority belonged to Jesus alone. That's why their confession was, Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. Oh, but how important it is for us to understand, disciples of Jesus aren't just people whose lips say Jesus is Lord. Disciples of Jesus are people whose lives say Jesus is Lord. You see, we live in a, a day when an anti-authority mindset is very prevalent in our society. The authority of parents is questioned. The authority of law is questioned. The authority of religion is questioned. The authority of government is questioned. But tonight I want you to understand, disciples of Jesus don't question his authority, they submit to it. What I'm here to tell you tonight is that Jesus is Lord. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And it is not your place, it is not my place to question his authority, it is our place to submit to his authority. Now let me remind you of the context of these verses. It is Passion Week. It is the final week of Jesus' life before He is crucified. 
at the beginning of the week, we saw him make the triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, hailing himself to be king. We saw him on the next day, on the way to Jerusalem, curse the fig tree and cleanse the temple of all those buying and selling and corrupting the worship of the temple. And in that, we talked about how Jesus was prophesying the coming destruction of the temple and the Jewish religious system. He was coming to replace it. Jesus had thrown down the gauntlet. In other words, Jesus had taken some bold actions that the religious leaders simply could not afford to ignore. He has gotten on a colt and had people hail him as king as he comes into Jerusalem. He's gone into the temple the next day like he owns the place. And he's chasing out those who are buying and selling. In other words, he's taken upon himself some authority. And he's forced them to a place where they have no choice but to respond. The central issue in this text is Jesus' authority. And as I said, the message here that we need to see is Jesus' authority is not to be questioned, but to be submitted to. Now, I want to make that message very clear to you by making four observations from these verses. Here's the first one. The first thing we see in verses 27 through 28 is this. Jesus' authority questioned. It says in verse 27 that they came again to Jerusalem. This is Jesus and his disciples. It's the next day after he cleansed the temple. After he cursed the fig tree the day previous. It's the next morning. Jesus and his disciples are coming to town. And it says he was walking in the temple. We talked last week about how where they were buying and selling in the temple was in the court of the Gentiles. The only place in the temple a non-Jew was allowed to go. It was about 35 acres, a huge place. Well, that's where Jesus would have been walking at this time. Probably he was walking under what was called Solomon's portico. It was some colonnades. It was covered porches that were inside the court of the Gentiles. And here is often a place where people would gather to listen to a teacher. So Jesus was walking along, probably teaching the people. And we have some people approach him. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The chief priests represent the ruling priestly families. The scribes are experts in the law. These are people who were hired because of their ability to read and write, which most people couldn't do. They were the ones who were responsible to make hand copies of the Scripture. They had to be very skilled in writing and reading. And they taught the law. And we see also elders. Elders were the aristocrats who were not of the priestly families, but they were among the leadership. Now, what we would have had here is a delegation from what was called the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. They had pretty much absolute authority in all matters of religion. In political matters, their authority was limited because of the Roman government. But from a Jewish perspective, they were the highest authority among the Jews below Rome. And they send a delegate 
the, the, the council's made up of 70 members. And they didn't send all 70, but they send a delegate, some chief priests, some scribes, some elders, and they come to Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? The issue is authority. Who gives you the authority to do these things? These things would be referring to what he'd done the previous day. Coming in and causing a disturbance in the temple. Preventing people from buying and selling. Preventing the money changers from doing business in the temple. The issue is authority. The right to give orders. The right to make rules. The right to enforce obedience. They say, look, who gives you the right to come in here like you make the rules? Like you can tell people what to do. Like you're in charge. They ask a second question. Who gave you this authority? By what authority are you doing this? The second question. Who gave you this authority? The implication is, we didn't authorize you to come in here and do this. We are in charge, and we didn't authorize you to do this. Understand, Jesus had no official position in Jewish religion. He had no authority in matters pertaining to the temple. He did not have any position that officially gave him authority to do the kind of things he did. And so they want to know, who do you think you are? You don't have the authority to do this. Yet Jesus acts and speaks as if he does have authority. And you know, this is not the first time he's acted with this kind of authority. Oh, no, no, no. All the way back in Mark chapter 2. You may not remember, but you'll remember the story. You remember the four friends that had a man who was very, very sick, was lame. They brought him on a pallet to Jesus. And there was such a crowd in the house they couldn't get to Jesus. So they went up on the roof and they dug a hole above Jesus in the roof, which would have been mainly mud and sticks and branches. And they, they lowered him down in front of Jesus. You remember what Jesus said? Son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders were there that day too. And they said, who is this man? He blasphemes. Nobody can forgive sins but God. In verse 5 of that same chapter, Jesus said, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus is saying, I have authority to forgive sins. Later on in the same chapter, on the Sabbath day, gathered for worship in the synagogue. The Jewish religious leaders are there again. There's a man with a withered hand. Jesus looked at the religious leaders and said, Is it right to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Of course, they wouldn't answer. So Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was healed. And of course, then they got angry, saying he healed on the Sabbath. He was breaking the law of the Sabbath. But in verse 28 of Mark 2, Jesus said this, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus says, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. I have the right to say what is 
permitted and what is not permitted on the Sabbath. So you see, this incident with them accusing Jesus of not having authority, this isn't the first time Jesus has exercised authority. When he went in the temple and did what he did, look, he'd been doing this kind of thing his whole ministry. He'd been acting and teaching with authority all along. But it's these kind of actions that prompt their questions. By what authority are you doing this? Who gave you this authority? Now don't misunderstand. Their questions are not a genuine concern about temple propriety. They're not really concerned about what should or shouldn't happen in the temple. They're not really concerned about even really whether or not Jesus has authority. They don't really care about his identity. What this is, is a flat out denial of his authority. They are coming to him and saying, who do you think you are? You don't have the authority to do this. They're questioning his authority. Now, let me just put this thought in your mind. To question Jesus' authority is really no different than denying his authority. To question his authority is really no different than denying his authority. Anything less than a full submission to his authority is ultimately denying his authority. So we see Jesus' authority questioned. Now, now let's move on and make the second observation. In verses 29 and 30, we see Jesus' authority implied. And here's where it gets interesting. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. So Jesus responds to their question with a question. He says, look, you answer this question, and then I'll answer you. Now, it may seem like Jesus' counter-question is just a clever way to avoid giving these religious leaders a direct answer. It may seem like, well, he's just asking them a question he knows they can't answer, so he can avoid answering them. That's not really it. Jesus is not changing the subject. It may seem like he's changing the subject, but he's not. The correct answer to Jesus' question would lead the religious leaders to the correct answer to their question. Let me say that again. The correct answer to the question Jesus asked the religious leaders would lead them to the correct answer to their own question. Let me show you what I mean. He asked a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Now first of all, let's talk about what is the baptism of John. Well, we know John's, what he was most known for was baptizing people. That's why he was come to be known as John the Baptist. But the baptism of John, he doesn't just mean the act of baptizing. He simply means the ministry of John the Baptist. Was the ministry of John the Baptist from heaven, in other words, was it authorized by God? Did God send John? Or was it from men? Was John acting on his own authority or on behalf of some earthly authority? So was it was he acting on God's authority? Was he ministering sent from God? Or was he just on some human authority? That's the question. Now, let's think about something as we think about John's ministry. This is what Jesus asked him about. 
John's ministry. What was the focus of John's ministry? Well, we find out in verses 2 and 3 of Mark chapter 1, right when this book starts. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. That's what John the ministry, John the Baptist ministry was about. John was sent to announce the coming of the Messiah. He was sent to prepare the way for the people to receive the promised Christ. Now let's consider just a couple of things that John the Baptist said as he prepares the way for Messiah. Mark 1, verses 7 and 8. John was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who was John talking about? He's talking about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 34. And I myself have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So what does John say about Jesus? He is coming after me. He is mightier than me. I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. I just baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Son of God. This is what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Now you think about this with me. If the religious leaders say that John was sent from God. If they say, yes, John was a real prophet sent by God. If they say that, then they have to acknowledge that when he announced Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, he was doing so with God's authority. You following me? In other words, if they say John was a real prophet, then they have to agree with what John said, that that really is what God said. Because a prophet, by definition, is someone who speaks for God. So if they say John's a prophet, they have to say, when he announced Jesus as the Christ, he was speaking for God. You with me? The religious leaders ask, by what authority did Jesus act? In asking them this question about John the Baptist, Jesus is making an implication that his authority rests in his identity. What is his identity? He is exactly who John said he is. He is the Christ, the Son of God. You with me? You see now why I say if they would answer John's question, if they would answer Jesus' question about John correctly, it would lead them to the answer to their own question about Jesus' authority. You see what I'm saying? To know whose authority he was under, they only had to answer his question. They had to answer it correctly, but all they had to do was answer. In asking this question about John, Jesus is not changing the subject. He's giving them the answer. He said, I am who John said I am. I am the Christ, the Son of God. It's the same thing Mark tells us in the very first 
verse of this book, Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen. The question is not, and never has been, if Jesus has authority over your life. That's never been the question. He has all authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Heaven and earth means everywhere. All authority is mine, period. His authority rests in who he is. It rests in his identity as the Christ, the Son of the living God. The question is not, does he have all authority? The only question is, will you submit to his authority? And that's not even the real question either. The question is not even really, will you submit to his authority? The real question is, will you submit to his authority now or before the throne of God on judgment day? You see, the Bible says that Jesus has been given a name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You'll submit to his authority either now or on judgment day. So we've seen Jesus' authority questioned. We've seen Jesus' authority implied. He, he basically gives them the answer in this question he asks. Now I want you to see Jesus' authority disregarded. What you're going to see now beginning in verse 33 is that they, just, they completely dismiss this whole thing about Jesus' authority. What we discover here is that the issue for the religious leaders is not really Jesus' authority. That's not really their greatest concern. Verse 31. They begin reasoning among themselves. They begin having a discussion among themselves. How are they going to answer Jesus? Now, what would they say if they answered honestly? Was John's ministry sent? Was it truly a ministry from God or was it not? Well, in their opinion, it wasn't. But they can't just give their opinion. They have to think about the consequences of their answer. You see, if they said John was sent by God, then they would have to explain why didn't they submit to his baptism and why didn't they accept what John said about Jesus. So if they say yes, he was a prophet, then they've got some explaining to do. But, if they said John was not sent from God, the crowd of people is going to be a problem. You see, this is the week of Passover. There are more people in Jerusalem right now than any time of the year, possibly in the millions. Definitely hundreds of thousands. And they can't afford to turn the Jews against them. See, here's the issue. The crowd, as you see in verse uh, 32, believed John was a real prophet. In other words, they believed John really spoke for God. The Jewish leaders don't want to disagree with the crowd. 
But they don't want to agree with the crowd either. You understand? They don't want to agree with the crowd about John, but they don't want to disagree with him either. Verse 32 tells us why. They were afraid of the crowd. Now here's the question. Why were they afraid of the crowd? Weren't they in a position of authority over the people? Yes. And that's just exactly the problem. They can't afford to turn the people against them because they risk their own position of power, their own position of authority. You see, if all the Jewish people in Jerusalem right now were to rebel against the religious leaders and cause a riot, the Roman soldiers would intervene and remove them all from their positions of authority. You understand what I'm saying? If they cause the Jewish people to turn against them, they risk losing their own position of power and authority. But, if they agree that John was a prophet, then they appear to support the cause of Jesus, that he has authority. They don't want to do that either. So they say, you know what, Jesus, we don't know. We don't know if John was sent from God or not. To support John's ministry would be to support Jesus' authority. To oppose John's ministry would be to risk their own authority. The religious leaders are not willing to do either. They would not acknowledge Jesus' authority because he opposed them. If they said Jesus has authority, then they are essentially sacrificing their own authority because all along Jesus has condemned them. If they accept Jesus' authority, they're condemning themselves. You understand? But they couldn't go against the people for the very same reason. They stood a chance of risking their own authority. Don't miss what's going on here. The only authority the religious leaders are concerned about is their own You see what I'm trying to show you? They're not concerned with Jesus' true identity or with John the Baptist's true identity or authority. No, no, no. Their ultimate concern is to preserve their own position and power. Why are they so opposed to Jesus? Because he's opposed to them. He's a threat to their power and position. He's a threat to their authority. They won't acknowledge his authority because they don't want to sacrifice their own. What did Pilate say about Jesus when they were trying to get Pilate to crucify Jesus? He said he knew they were only crucifying Jesus because they were jealous. They didn't want to give him their authority. Listen. It is not a lack of evidence that causes people to refuse to acknowledge Jesus' authority over their lives. I want to say that again. It is not a lack of evidence that causes people to refuse to acknowledge Jesus' authority over their lives. People won't acknowledge Jesus' authority because they don't want to sacrifice their own authority over their lives. Let me say it to you like this. 
People don't want to submit to Jesus as Lord because they want to be Lord. If you won't submit to Jesus as your master, it's because you want to be the master. If you won't submit to what Jesus says to do, it's because you want to decide for yourself what you're going to do. It's because you're concerned about your own authority. Years ago, I was singing and speaking at a church in Lafayette, excuse me, not at Lafayette, but in Metairie, Louisiana. And uh, a friend of mine from Lafitte, Louisiana, where I grew up, she came to the service to hear me sing and speak. During the service, I could tell the Lord was really dealing with her. She had tears in her eyes. She was really moved. We went to dinner afterward, just long before I met my wife. And I asked her about it. I said, it looked like you were really kind of struggling there. And she acknowledged. She was under conviction. She understood that she needed to repent and surrender to the Lord. But she didn't. Why? Here's what she said. She wasn't ready to stop living the way she wanted to live. She wouldn't let Jesus be Lord because she wanted to be Lord. She wouldn't surrender to His authority because she wanted to maintain authority in her own life. Listen, if you refuse to submit to Jesus as Lord, it's only because you want to be Lord. Jesus' authority disregarded. You see, they don't really care about His authority. That's not the issue. The issue is His authority or your authority. I want to make one observation, one more observation in verse 33, the last part of the verse. And this is what I'm going to call Jesus' authority veiled. Veiled. Hidden. Verse 33. Answering Jesus, they said, we don't know. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus refuses to answer their question, although as we've already seen, in a manner of speaking, He already has answered it. But He refuses to give them a direct answer about the source of His authority. Now there's more than one reason why. One reason why He doesn't is because when the time comes and He finally does announce to them that He is the Christ and He's coming in the clouds of glory, when He does that finally, and He will do it finally, just say it out you know, blurted out right to him. But when he does, within a matter of hours, he's on the cross. So he knows he can't blurt that out just yet. It's not quite time for that. But there's another reason why he won't give them the direct answer. Because he had already answered that question in his words and in his actions. I want you to think about it. Jesus has demonstrated his authority over and over and over throughout this gospel. Think about some of the things that Jesus does. He forgives sin. He commands the winds and the waves to obey Him. He raises the dead. He declares Himself Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is doing the things that only God has the authority to do. So where does his authority come from? God. There's no doubt 
who Jesus is proclaiming His authority comes from? It's obvious with any, anybody who has eyes to see that what He's doing can only be done by God. Casting out demons. It's obvious that this is the power of God. The answer to their question was as plain as a nose on their face. And twice, twice, God the Father has verbally affirmed Jesus' identity. This is my beloved Son. Twice. Listen to me. The religious leaders are not after the truth. They're not after the truth. Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. When you have something that's precious and valuable, something you prize, something you treasure, you don't give it to a dog who has no concept of something being sacred. He's just going to chew it and pee on it and drop it and bear it in a hole. You wouldn't do that with something you thought was precious. If you had a, 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 a string of rare pearls, you wouldn't throw them to a, mix them in with the pig slop for the pig to gnaw on and chew up and swallow. You think about this. There is nothing more precious Nothing more valuable than the truth about who Jesus is. The truth of Christ is the most valuable thing that we as the church possess. You understand? It is the key to eternal life. And Jesus said, I am not going to take something as precious as the truth about my identity. And He said, I'm not going to keep handing it to people who are only going to blaspheme me and mock me. They were not going to treat the truth about who Jesus was with the sacredness and holiness. They were not going to treat it as precious as it should be treated. They were going to deny it and reject it and stomp on it. And Jesus was no longer going to give them that opportunity. On the job, you will only be allowed to disregard the authority of your boss a limited number of times. If you continue to refuse to recognize and submit to your boss's authority, you will eventually be fired. In the same way, there is a limit to the number of times Jesus will allow you to refuse to submit to his authority. How many times is that? I don't know. But for the religious leaders in this story, it was one too many. No more discussions with them about his identity, his authority. He veils it from them and it will remain. So here's what I want to say to you. If you refuse to see and submit to Jesus' authority, the day may come when your blindness becomes permanent, irreversibly. 
If you turn a blind eye to the reality of Jesus' authority over your life, one of these days that blindness is going to be irreversible. And you're going to lose the capacity to see who Jesus is. You're not only going to lose the opportunity, you're going to lose the ability. Let me say it to you like this. If you keep closing your eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, one of these days God's going to sew your eyes shut. Listen to what the Lord's saying to us through these verses tonight. Disciples of Jesus don't question His authority. They submit to it. Listen, what does the Bible say about our Lord? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. The Bible says He's been exalted to the highest place and given a name that is above every name. Of His kingdom there will be no end. Listen, He is Lord. All of heaven and earth belong to Him. All of it is under His authority. His authority is not in question and never has been. The only question is, will you choose to submit? Or will you choose to suffer the eternal consequences for failing to submit to His authority? Oh, how I would call on you today to submit to the authority of the Lord while you have the opportunity in this life. Let's pray.